0: Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace, and it's the perfect app for travel. I was recently traveling overseas for seven weeks in multiple cities. Turo made it so easy to find the type of car that I needed in each city, including various things like a car seat, snow tires, and a lot of space.
1: I live in SF, Austin, and Sydney, and I use their cars wherever I am and when I'm traveling. I don't have a car in SF and Austin, and we just use Turo. The booking process is so convenient, and the hosts are awesome. Go to Turo.com and download the app today. Sendar is the OG startup accounting firm in Australia, catering for
0: all stages of your business's life. If you're busy running your startup, you don't have time to do your own books and forecast. Instead, fully outsource your finance function, giving you time and resources back to focus on what you do best, which is growing your business.
1: For a free one-hour consultation about your business's growth plans and finance needs, head to sendar.com. That's S-C-E-N-D-A-R.com. Okay, three, two, one...
0: Hey, I'm Cheryl. I'm Maxine. This is First Check, part of Day One, the network dedicated to founders, operators, and investors. If you want to be a better early stage investor, this is the show for you. So TLDR, if you don't want to suck at investing, listen up. (laughs) (laughs) We have Judy on the show today, and I'm really excited about the fact that we get to talk to Judy because... When I met Judy, it was uh, three or four years ago, and uh, Maxine, Judy, and I were both in the very first cohort of the Airtree Explorers, which is a fantastic uh, angel investor on-ramp, and we got to know each other through that program, uh, and then in the last year or so, both Maxine and Judy invested in my company, Housing Angels, so I feel like this is just such a perfect trio coming together, and I'm really excited to talk to Judy today. What about you, Maxine? Yeah, I can't wait. I am just like bursting at the seams
1: with so many questions. I feel like, you know, everything I've watched Judy do has just been so impressive. It's so thoughtful. It has all of the threads kind of perfectly tied up together. And one of the topics we're going to talk about today is her DD list. And I feel like that is a physical manifestation of the way that her brain works like all of the threads tied off. It's all kind of compounding on each other. It's like a beautiful synthesis of really great strategy um i just it blows me away every time i kind of lift the lid on any of the things that she does so really jazz to dive in there and learn more um about kind of how she's thought about uh building euphemia alongside dom pym uh how she thinks about dd and how she thinks about kind of leading from the front And also just like so down to earth. I had the enormous privilege of listening to her present about what Euphemia is building recently. And it's just like, oh, we're just low key changing the world. But like, no biggie. This is more about you guys than it is about us. And it's just incredible.
0: That is so totally her personality. It's (laughs) very low key. Like, we're doing this amazing thing, but I'm not bragging about it. I'm just out there trying to improve the world one like investment at a time. And I absolutely love that about her.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just a factual statement. I'm changing the world. Moving on to the next topic. (laughs)
2: How embarrassing. (laughs) That's awesome. I'll try to live up to those expectations um, for anyone (laughs) listening who doesn't know me um, today. But thank you both so much for having me. Like, it's such a such an honour. Like, I'm joining from the uh, Wawundry people of the Kulin Nations land where I'm living um, at home and just want to extend that respect to anyone who's listening wherever this content may be reaching. Like, um, I don't want to date this podcast too much, but like we're coming up to a referendum and I just think like it's a really great time to just think a little differently about the meaning of place. And, you know, a big part of Euphemia's thesis is to go big and grow home and we're just so passionate about the Australian startup ecosystem and making it a place where anyone can be successful. Um, and you know like speaking of success, like in our preamble, I was just saying how like I would say this is a room of three of the most ambitious women in the Australian startup ecosystem all working tirelessly. like if I got the chance to do, a reverse intro of each of you. It would probably be three times as long and three times as impressive <laughs> for each of you. So I'm just... Too kind. Yeah. Grateful to be here. I love the work that you're both doing for our ecosystem. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> it's very mutual. Yeah. We'll have to come back to that in some point.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I do want to take this moment. I'm coming from Gadigal land today and do think it's a very important political moment in Australian history as we come up to the yes vote or what will hopefully be the yes vote. One of the topics I'm really excited to dive in with you is about this idea of leading from the front and uh, kind of how do you think about influencing change in the ecosystems that you're in. But before we dive in there, a question we ask at the beginning of all of these conversations, because, you know, first check is about us as investors and thinking about how we level up. What was the first thing that you ever invested in?
2: The first thing I ever invested in. I'll start with my personal one, and then I'll talk about the first deal that Euphemia did. Um, so my first ever personal investment was at the local hardware store in the Blue Mountains when I was about seven years old. I went down and I bought a whole bunch of little pot plants, like little plastic pot pants. My parents would give us like $2 pocket money a week, and my sister and I could spend it on whatever we want. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go down to the hardware store and buy this little plastic pot pants, and then I'm going to go into my mom's back garden, and I'm going to you know, take out some soil and... Clip some, you know, little flowers. and I'm going to plant them, and then I'm going to pay my sister twenty cents a pot to paint them because she was quite the talented artist at nine years old. <laughs> and then I went door knocking around the neighborhood selling these pot plants for two dollars each. So I was making like a dollar seventy profit. I was pretty impressed with myself on every wow. pot. Wow! Uh, so that was my first wow. investment to try and, um, you know, ten x my pocket money. Baller. And I would say, what was the ROI on that, Judy? I think I, I wasn't really like passionate about it. it. It probably lasted like two weeks. I don't remember <laughs> it being a very long running business, but I think <laughs> it got me to the next couple of weeks. Seven-year-old, two weeks. That's like an eternity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Time is relative. Um, But Euphemia, um, to be honest, we did so many deals um, in our first year as Euphemia. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly which one. The first one is I'd have to look back at our database. But, I mean, Dom's been an active angel um, for over a decade. And so, like, the first investment of Euphemia is well before my time, like, you know, it's because Euphemia's portfolio includes all of those companies that Dom backed really early in his day as an entrepreneur when he was living and working in Silicon Valley, in London and in Singapore. So I'm not quite sure which one was first of Dom's. I mean, but a really early one is Spreedly. Um, So that's now like a a US uh, unicorn fintech company who Dom invested in early days. Uh, I think our first one together was in one of the funds, so Possible Ventures, which is um, a sort of early stage fund that focuses on like new science and new innovation and new technology, um, both hardware and software uh, anywhere in the world, and also Galileo Ventures, which is a new emerging seed fund uh, managed by Hugh and James, uh, and we just love the work that they were doing. Hugh was one of my members at Startup Victoria in my previous role, and, you know, I had you know, the joy of like observing him as an operator um, from a membership point of view. And I was like, yep, Hugh is obsessed with success. Um, I think he's a good one to back yeah. as an emerging fund manager. And one of our first directs was actually into a company called uh, Bill Kite. Great investment. Yeah. Um, so Bill Kite, yeah, software company serving software companies. They're awesome. Um, uh, yeah, becoming very quickly an Aussie startup darling. Mm. Um, and Bill Kite was actually built from one of dom's earlier companies keith used to work for dom and then he's like i have this idea for this like product can i just drop to part-time and start building that and Dom was like okay you know have to support entrepreneurial long as you invest (laughs) exactly but he had a conflict he couldn't invest from day one uh but then dom went on to build a different company um, and he was no longer keith's employer and then he did invest uh, at that point, he did a, a, a small secondary round. Uh, and then as Euphemia, we did um, uh, a significant check uh, into their Series B that was happening last year. Uh, and we ended up introducing keys to Airtree, and they went on to lead the round. Wow, awesome. Very cool.
0: Wow, what a selection of firsts. That is actually a really cool selection. You're right. Um, for those of you listening at home, Euphemia is Dom Pym's family office and Judy manages that. So just context around uh, what we're talking about.
2: Ah, yes, maybe yeah. I should do. I'm going backwards. Um Oh, so no, no, no. Yes, Euphemia is the family office for Dom Pimp, who, if you haven't come across him before, he's um, an Aussie fintech entrepreneur and investor. He's most well known for building Up, which is Australia's most loved digital bank. Um, he's fintech leader of the year three times in a row last year from three different peak bodies and C Street leader of the year at the Paws Awards. Um, he's a great guy. Uh, 20 years of hard knocks as a founder and entrepreneur, has built several businesses before Up, pin payments. Um, and clear just to name a couple. And prior to teaming up at Dharma, I was the CEO of Startup Victoria, which is now known as the Startup Network. That's Australia's largest startup community for entrepreneurs. It's got over 60,000 people in the network. So my job for many years has been to help founders go from I've got a great new idea to an exit and everything in between, whether you're bootstrap venture backed, you're growing slow, you're growing fast, you know, you're serving a local market, you're serving a global market. Like that was, it is the place to go um, if you need to get support as a founder growing your company. So good. So yeah, and Euphemia... We invest in uh, fintech to try and help fix money, uh, climate tech to try and help fix the planet, Uh, women-led startups or really any founder from a disadvantaged background who hasn't had equal access to opportunity uh, and startup infrastructure, which for us is like a niche corner as the B2B SaaS market. It's like companies like BuildKite, you're a high growth tech company whose customer is a high growth tech company. There's more, but I won't bore you with it. That's the highlights reel.
1: Very cool. Honestly, that's a masterclass in how to pitch like (laughs) complex Concepts or complex businesses, you just nailed two there. Like totally get it 100% know exactly what, what you guys are chasing and we're chasing at the Startup Network. Awesome. So I do want to double click on the family office piece. I mean, I think um, we're stepping into an era of the Australian ecosystem where we're starting to see lots of exited founders and people who are early team members that join them on that journey that now have, you know, significant capital that they took off the table along the journey or got through an exit. And my observation of the way that you and Dom have been building Euphemia is, as I mentioned at the top, just so thoughtful. There's all of these uh, elements of it that are compounding on each other, and also influencing the ecosystem to be more advantageous for the, you know, for everyone as well as the portfolio that you're working with. So I just love to kind of understand from your perspective. How did you start that journey to work out what should your strategy be? What should your positioning be? Where is the kind of dent you're looking to make in the world? And how did you determine what that would be and what your strategies would be behind it?
2: Yeah, I'm going to try and sneakily bring up my miro board because um, every decision we've ever made um, lives in our miro board. Wow. Incredible.
1: Truly incredible.
2: <laughs> uh, but like a lot of strategy sessions, a lot of time spent in the early months, like just Thinking, asking questions, reflecting, challenging each other—like any sort of normal strategy process. Like, you know, there will be like a dozen questions in this mirror board, which is not loading, so I'm going to have to use my memory. But <laughs> you know, things like, you know, what do we love about the family office world? You know, like this part of an industry that exists. What do we love about it? Um, what do we think we could do differently that's better? Why would that be awesome? Um, what's our purpose? You know, what's our timeline here? Um, What should we do what shouldn't we do all of the normal things when like you're setting a strategy where it's really just about deciding not just what you are going to be but more importantly what you're not going to be and for us one of the main things like both of our experience like dom as a founder raising capital um in his previous ventures and me sort of like acting as a representative for the founder community something that we both experienced and observed was that typically a family office was a little bit more opaque um, harder to find, sometimes by design and sometimes just because they're, you know, intergenerational beasts that like, they have more like bloat than an enterprise in terms of how much like red tape they can be. Um. And privacy, you know, like for for good reason, uh, you know, for the individuals within that family. But for us, like we wanted to build something that was kind of the opposite of that, something super accessible, super transparent, like you knew where the front door was and it was open and you could walk in. And even if we didn't write a check, we'd hopefully deliver some value, you know, in some way for you. So that was sort of more around like our vision and our mission and like, you know, where we wanted to play and why, you know, Australia became really obvious, you know, it's where we live, it's where we work there are more mature ecosystems elsewhere we've both had friends and colleagues like leave you know like maxine you spent a lot of time in the us and Mm. you know cheryl like you're the exception where you've come to australia from a more mature (laughs) ecosystem but
0: i came to help thanks (laughs) yeah it's great
2: it's great that you're here like but we need more like people coming to australia to help mature the ecosystem but australia was a as an obvious choice um We think our proximity to Asia has a geopolitical advantage in the decades to come. Um, We think our greatest export should be our ideas, our ingenuity, our innovation. Uh, We can lead the stage. And I think Jax has mentioned this in a previous um, session that we've recorded with her, like we're uniquely positioned to be leaders in climate, but we're not yet. Yeah. uh, And we should be. Hmm. That is so true. See, so yeah, Australia became obvious, and then the thesis is the thesis was easy. It's what are we good at and what do we care about? Um, you know, Dom is really good at money, <laughs> like he's a fintech guru. <laughs> so you know, he has an unfair advantage when it comes to access to deal flow. He knows everyone, um, and he can do exceptional DD like very quickly because he just. Knows everything in fintech. So, like, it becomes a no brainer that we want to invest in fintech. Climate tech is like, there's a real sense of duty there. Like, I think if you have wealth, you have a responsibility, you know, to be solving some of the biggest problems in the world with that wealth, and how you do it is up to you. But for us, yeah, investing in climate tech is one way we can do that. Again, investing in diverse founders and trying to balance the ledger for women, it's a no brainer. And I think. We make a pretty decent pair, being like you definitely do. Dom is like a middle-aged white guy with a beard working in tech for (laughs) twenty years, you know, and then me being like a a slightly younger, you know, queer woman in tech. Like we can kind of go into any room in this industry, (laughs) and so it gives us like a, a position of privilege to be able to yeah do some more strategic work to try and try and balance the ledger, and then startup infrastructure. Like that's just such a passion play for me, like. It's yeah been my whole life's work, um, and so anything that can help our ecosystem go through those maturity loops a little bit faster. Mm.
0: That's super interesting. That's so interesting. I love the questions that you asked there. Like, what do we what do we get at, and what do we care about? Like that, you just distilled it down to two questions that are so valuable for any investor to ask themselves. I'd really love to understand a bit more about like, because you invest in both funds and companies directly. And that strategy, I think, is super interesting because you could get just as much diversification and achieve the same goals just by investing in funds, but you obviously invest in both. Like, how do you think about that split? And can you share with us what the split is?
2: For sure. Uh, So if you go and speak to a a normal wealth advisor, like a LGT Crestone or a Goldman Sachs or a KKR, um, they would tell you that we're crazy. (laughs) Uh, So if you picture like a normal pie chart, you know, and you have all of your different asset classes in that pie chart, you've got like some cash, you've got some property, you've got some listed equities, you know, like shares on the on various stock exchanges. You've got bonds, you know, you've got, uh, you know, what they would call alternatives and within alternatives, you know, private equity, venture, and maybe some direct investments. Normally that sort of alternatives little slice of the pie chart is like maximum 20%. That's if you've got a really high risk appetite our pie chart for alternatives is like above 80%. Like it's pretty wild, but it's where we're comfortable. Like, you know, like that is our risk appetite, but we also feel like that risk is somewhat curtailed um, because of our like careers working in this space. Like I think if you were someone who had come from wealth in property or in another space and you'd never, you just weren't familiar, like there's just a, a slightly steeper learning curve to get into venture. And so going into funds... As a starting point before going into directs, if you have a low risk appetite, makes sense. Like that's good, diverse financial advice from, you know, like financial advisors. But for us, like we're happy to go direct because we have an unfair advantage. We have exceptional networks of founders and we know what a great deal looks like when we see it. So why wouldn't we play to that strength? So yeah, so our asset allocation across the group. um, So for Euphemia, that pie chart is broader than venture. It is a significant portion of our strategy. So at the moment, we have about 50 direct investments in the portfolio across those themes that I mentioned. We have over 20 funds that we've invested in both here and abroad across pre-seed up to private equity. And then we also have a property portfolio, which is um, sort of half commercial, half residential. We have a share portfolio, which is mostly uh, US tech stocks. Uh, and we do have a foundation as well which is to help people in need So sort of think about it as venture is the biggest followed by property followed by shares and then the foundation kind of underpins the whole thing
1: very cool when you did when you were kind of building that and maybe drawing back to that mirror board which it's open now so if you want to know the questions I do have them I just am I'm so impressed that you even like recorded each of the questions most people do that strategy day and don't to what extent, Did your kind of strategy session influence kind of which groups that you allocate in? Because I think for a lot of folks uh, that are listening to this podcast, they're thinking about investing or scaling their investing activities in early stage as well as other groups. And I'm wondering if you have any kind of tips or tricks to how to think about what your uh, segment of the pie chart mix should be. Should you kind of be thinking about, yeah, like, what am I really good at? What am I, um, what do I love, I think, were the two kind of fun foundational questions you asked, or is anything else that you found really helpful as an elucidating
2: question um, as you were exploring that for yourself? Yeah. The only new question I would add is like, what do you want to learn? Hmm. Uh, that's one. It doesn't play a huge role in our thesis, but it's something that I really, it really struck me when I was speaking to other family officers. So part of this, you know, part of our early strategy work was also to talk to other family office peers who we admire, who are a few steps ahead of us, And understand like what process did they go through? Like we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Like there's some stuff we can do on first principles. Like Dom and I have said a lot of strategies before. Like we know what we're doing, but it's like you know like like there'll there'll be other strategies out there. Like let's just do some research before we just build our own. And Adam Milgram from the Triple Family Office was someone Mm. that we reached out to, and that was one of his key things. It's like. They invest not just for impact, they're really like an impact focused family office, but like, what do they want to learn? Like it's three siblings, you know, what kind of technologies do they find really curious and interesting? And I'd say that's the one part. Of our thesis, like if I look back on some of the exceptions to the thesis, because there are always mm. those in a family office, because we're not managing other people's money at the end of the day, it's Dom dollars. So yes. sometimes there'll be things that just don't <laughs> match the strategy, no matter how much work we put into it. The things that they have in common are things that like I would say Dom is very curious about, like space, you know, fascinating interesting, Hmm. like so futuristic, you know, sometimes things come up. Like he just sent me something today in Slack that was like, oh, I hope you don't mind. I just accidentally invested in this Kickstarter. That's like building Mars Rover tires for bicycles. Like
0: (laughs) accidentally is the best word that I heard right there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And then like, yeah, the other one is just like, it's just really awesome. Like either the person or the project is just so good. You know, we couldn't really say no. Like an example of that would have been um, Just Fund, mm-hmm. uh, which actually was a Startmate um, cohort company, and so we were we indirectly invested in them anyway, as Startmate investors. But we'd end up doing a direct check as well because Just Fund provide uh, finance for um, people who are going through family court, and um, so typically it's like a divorce scenario. Um and typically it's representation for the person who doesn't have an asset base to pay for lawyers and all the like solicitor fees that come with going through court systems. Um and then that loan is then repaid from the settlement. Um so like how awesome is that? Like that's typically women who are in a disadvantaged position. So yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah, for sure. I think that question is so important because for
0: angels who are just starting, learning is a huge piece. Like you have to learn so much when you get started in angel investing. Why not pick things to learn about that you're actually really interested in? Like that just makes sense. So I really love that you brought that question. in. even if it's not as important for you, I think that's a really important for angels. And I've gotten to learn so much just by, wait, Maxine and I actually call them the, the first checks you learning checks. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. Like the first year to year and a half of angel investing, the advice I often give is to invest through something like Aussie Angels, invest through syndicates, or invest the smallest possible check you can while you're learning so that you can kind of get those reps out, you kind of build that touch point effectively as you're kind of learning, okay, this is how I make that decision. This is how I get excited. These are the kinds of founders I really want to back, you, know, especially while you are out in market, kind of public as an angel investor, you start to see a lot more decks, obviously, and meet a lot more founders than you can invest in. And so it's just the, the best, best learning journey to go on. And I think really valuable as a way to kind of learn how to be a great investor as well. I do, one of the things I've observed you, Euphemia, and also you do really, really well is kind of compound the strategy and compound the impact for the founders that you work for. So little things like, or actually not that little things, like thinking about (laughs) how you can connect people in your portfolio who can like sell to each other or lift each other up, kind of find those strategic synergies across your portfolio. There's obviously Dom, right? Like you've done a wonderful job of building strategic synergies with the things that he is excellent at and the unique access that he gets in the ecosystem. I'd be interested to know kind of how you thought about that kind of cross synergy piece, almost like the connective tissue across your entire synergy as opposed to just the kind of linear strategy.
2: Yeah. How did you identify those and how do you think about building them? This is a topic I could talk about for like months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I would talk about this as like the network effect. Mm. Um, and I would say we are like a network powered family office um, as an investor. There's a lot of overlap. And it's also, it's definitely in my wheelhouse of what I know how to do really well in terms of building communities, right? Like, um, you know, as part of building Australia's largest startup community. And so, mm. so much of that is just about knowing where the interconnectedness is across that ecosystem and then firing off people to the right information or the right person or the right answer at the right time. Mm. So we're definitely looking at bringing a lot of that into what we would just call like portfolio success. I would say a lot of our plans aren't yet live, (laughs) but we have a few cool things that are in the works. So for example, like the position that we're in as a family office is quite unique in terms of the amount, just the sheer volume of investor updates that we get. Hmm. So we get investor updates from all of the funds, uh, from all of the direct investments, and then not just from the funds, but then we're also learning about each of the companies within the funds. So like the indirect portfolio is like hundreds, um, if not thousands of like companies. And so from a data point of view, we've actually got a really interesting insight into, like, what's the average TVPI, like, total value paid in, of all of the funds from, like, year one to their current vintage and how do different funds compare based on their focus or their stage or the team or Hmm. how big the fund is. Like, we can just pull really interesting things from that data. I would love to learn more about that data in particular (laughs) if you're willing to share. Yeah, well, I think Cheryl's eyes immediately sparkled. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I do think there's a way that we can de-identify some of that information and start sharing it Hmm. because yeah, and and the pro- like the project that we're actually working on right now is how do we use a lot of the AI tools that are being developed now around um, knowledge models uh, and, you know LLM tools, et etc, to then basically scan all of that information, whether it's an email or a document or a link to you know a registry direct portal, whatever it is. Like how do we scan that information for the things that really matter, pull that into you know a working memory system. And then from that working memory system, query it or have it send us things that we've told it are interesting to us, you know, it's, so it's, it just takes the admin out of it. And the good news is like, we're not the only people in the world trying to solve this. Like everyone in the world wants what we're calling a euphemia brain. Everyone wants one um, for their own data. Yeah. Uh, we've actually invested in a company that's building this as well. But so once that's ready, we're building just an MVP version, which is just a shitty air table, but <laughs> When it's ready. Perfect. We'll plug the model into Aussie
0: Angels because we've got tons of data as well.
2: We will share it for sure. But in terms of connecting founders, there's so much we could be doing. Um I think the balance is we don't want to recreate what already exists, you know, like the peer-to-peer models, etc. There's so many of them. And if we were going to build one for all of our founders in the portfolio, like it would just... Per- it would just have to be significantly better or different than everything that's out there. Like if you're a founder, you can sign up for, you know, a membership with a startup network and connect with founders at a similar stage to you, you know, and talk shop on a monthly basis and get access to education mentors, advisors, etc. So it would have to, you know, you can do that in any sub community. Like Airtree has one, Blackbird has one, Startmate has one, um, Innovation Bay has one. So like everyone has one. So if we were going to build something at Euphemia, it would, have to be better than all of those. And I think I'm still not sure whether we want to just direct founders to the best of what exists and help uplift everything that already exists rather than recreate our own. I'm I'm not decided yet. (laughs) I think the
0: cool thing about what you do, though, is around like compounding the value across the portfolio. So when you think about Mm. an investment and think about the value that you can add it's not just like what can you and dom add. it's about well how can we de-risk this investment by connecting something within the portfolio and, and as a portfolio company i feel like i've been exposed to that but i would really love to understand like how how do you think about that when you're looking at a new investment how do you bring in what value you can compound in order to de-risk that potential new one
2: yeah I think just knowing who's in our Rolodex as well. Like I think because, you know, Dom and I have both built um, businesses before, like we know who we go to whenever there's a problem that we can't solve. And so like we have a go-to list of like, if you're doing M&A, here are the like four different people that like you have to work with, you know, um, you can pick which one, any of them are good, like whatever your preference is, but just talk to these four people. Um, You know, same for talent, right? Like, okay, you're going down the talent pathway, here's some self-service stuff if you just need talent pools and, resources, but if you actually want a recruiter, here are the like the best three that we recommend. Like so we've always got those go-tos in our back pocket. But in like one thing that is important is we never want to be the type of investor. And I think this is important for angels as well, because you see a lot of it go really badly. And sometimes it can be awesome, but like where you are doing just more like ad hoc mentoring and advice. And I think you do have to be really careful. Even though Dom and I are like experienced, like, you know, people we're not an expert at everything. Like I'm more of a bit of a like generalist. I know a little about a lot and Don knows a lot about a lot. (laughs) Enough to be dangerous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) But we are very conscious of when the answer comes from us versus when the answer comes from someone else who is actually the expert in that field. Um, And not just that, like we never force our presence on any founder. It's very much opt-in. So like when we've just invested with a founder, um, we sort of have like an informal kind of kickoff where we just talk about like what kind of cadence of support do they want from us like what are their expectations how can we deliver on that sort of just setting some like unofficial rules you know like you know I remember Cheryl when we you know sort of first did the investments like cool do you want a board do you not want a board like do you want like a regular catch-up do you not want a regular catch-up like it's very much decided by the founder like what do you want from us like we can do anything on the spectrum from we'll sit on the board as an advisor all the way to just text us when there's something wrong, you know, and I would say most founders sit somewhere in the middle of like either a quarterly or a bi-monthly regular catch up in the calendar with either Dom or myself. Uh, But we have had the midnight text from time to time.
0: Yeah. I think I text you all the time. (laughs) It's good. I'm definitely in that bucket. Yep.
1: Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply. I think it is... Really valuable as a investor who's not investing other people's money. So, like as an angel investor or as a family office, you know, recognizing that there are these kind of ranges of support you can provide, and being, you know, aware of the fact that uh, of the informational asymmetry between you and the founder, and being careful not to kind of be too heavy handed as we kind of lean in on support. Totally, I see a lot of people navigating that line unsuccessfully. And recognizing, you know, having some empathy as a founder, it's really hard to say no when your angel investor is like, hey, can I intro you to this person or can I do this thing for you? Or like, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of have to feel there's a moral obligation or sometimes perceived to be a moral obligation to say yes. And recognizing that that like power dynamic might not actually serve the founder. So I love that as a methodology, just like an open uh, catch up saying like, how would you like me to support or ask to support depending on how you're investing? Yeah. Here's a menu feel free to point here, here, and here, and then we will deliver on those.
2: Yes. And also just like, it's not set and forget. For sure. One of the founders in our portfolio, it's like, we had a quarterly catch up in the diary and then, you know, like that worked, I think for the first year. And then like their business just like took a total right turn in the the right direction. And they're so crazy busy um, with their US expansion And that it's just like not even feasible, like to be having a quarterly like catch up. So, Mm. but rather than you can just tell, or you always know, like, cause you have to have that in the back of your head that no matter what, as an investor, there's always an element of like impression managing going on, whether it's conscious or unconscious. Mm. And so like to be the one to always offer, the off ramp, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so every Mm -hmm. time, every time, like, even if it's just casual, like, Hey, just checking in, does this cadence still work for you? You know, do you want to change it? Do we need to can it? Is it still useful? Like just like always checking in. Um, and so we ended up canceling those ones. Um, but then we just catch up like ad hoc, uh, when it's needed. That's so cool.
1: So I'd like to take a little pivot here and talk a little bit more about your DD checklist and how you think about saying yes to a founder. Another kind of really thoughtful place I've heard a lot about from folks have the both delivery of your checklist, but what it looks like on the the back end.
2: And Cheryl's laughing because she's seen it. I know. And I'm like, I'm going to add some more color there because
0: I had the pleasure of uh, supporting Judy in one of their um, investments that they ran. And She shared their DD checklist with me. And at first I was like, holy crap, wow. Like, there's some really great insights here. And then I was like, wait, the structure of this is just absolutely
2: psycho. Like, it just,
0: (laughs) like... Such good content, but it just gave me like this like little insight into the way that Judy's brain works, and I was just so glad. And then the best part about it was I was like, your checklist is amazing. Structure is just baffling. And she's like, well, I didn't think anybody else would see it. I made it for me. It's only my brain that I had to read it, and then proceeded to share it with all of the syndicate members. And I was like, that's why I love you. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, people can figure it out. It's not that complicated, but basically... <laughs> Also, DD should just be relative to, you know, the stage of deal, right? Like that's obvious, right? Like, you know, mm. there's only so much data you can assess, you know, when you're at a pre-seed or a seed stage deal. And so, all you're really assessing is like have they got the sort of basics covered that this is, you know, they know what they're doing, they're responsible, there's good governance, like there's the right things there in terms of setting themselves up for success. Things have been set up set up for the best chance if everything goes well and if everything goes badly, you know, they're they're protected, investors are protected. So you kind of just at the early stages, you're really just looking for uh, the guardrails there, right? Um, And then from there, it's really just your belief in the founder and the founding team in their ability to execute and then also you have to believe that the market or the opportunity or the timing is like they've got tailwinds rather than headwinds. So Mm. like at a high level, that's really all we're looking for. The structure is good, the founder and the people are good, the timing of the market is good, you know? Like you just kinda wanna set them up for success in the early like there's nothing else to do. You can't really look at historical spreadsheets of before you can't you don't want to you don't want to be like interviewing like their customers, you know, because they're early adopters and you might risk them like lose. Like, you know, what? you just don't want to overkill and over engineer and also over resource. Like we are a small team, like it's just myself, Dom, and a bunch of outsourced lawyers and advisors and accountants. So we don't have time to do a huge amount of DD on early stage deals. When they're later stage deals, it's a different thing. Like, you know, if you're doing sort of series A and above. There's a lot of data to look through. You know, there's information you can pour through. You can run different tests and blah, blah, blah. But a quick summary of what's in it. I do have it opening. So, yeah, look at the opportunity. Um, So market analysis, competitor analysis, you know, their forecast financial model, customer pipeline, um, any comparable information on capital raises, including revenue multiples from similar companies. Um, And of course, like the pitch deck, the IM, you know, what's their cost of customer acquisition, lifetime value, if they've got that data, anything on churn etc we look at corporate records so constitution articles of incorporation shareholders agreements subscription agreements you know the cap table the corporate structure if there's any like asset certificates you know if there's board meetings like the minutes of them just like sort of that corporate section under the team category like org chart who's who who's doing what where the responsibilities lie and is their equity position reflective of that appropriately Um, you know, roles and responsibilities of folks, employment agreements, IP assignments, you know, does the company own all the things that it needs to own? Are the employment agreements correct? Like, is everything sort of hunky-dory there? Making sure it's all legal and incentives are set up correctly. And then any like proposed increases on line items under people, like for the other side of the cap raise and just checking that's fine. And also details of any ESOP, um, making sure that those option schemes are in line, like with best practice. On the financials, like financial statements for the company, um, tax filings if there are some, depending on how early they are, details of like R&D credits or financing any loans to the organization. Um, I could go on. Like there's a commercial section, a technical <laughs> section, you know, looking at product, infrastructure, um, IP, insurance, legal. I- I'll go through the whole thing. But if you're curious to learn more so good. and you want to see more, you can just reach me on socials. I'll be happy to share. <laughs> I I mean, even just that, right?
1: For anyone that's kind of stepping into the investing world for the first time or where they're investing needs, you know, some polish on the way that they're doing DD, I hope they were taking those. Then you can just keep replaying that section till you get the list of all of the the open questions to make sure you tick off. (laughs) Super valuable. Yeah. So what kind of investments at the moment are you getting super excited about using this DD checklist? What kind of stuff that comes across your table that you just... Almost can't help yourself.
2: Yes. I would be remiss before I move on from the DD checklist if I didn't give a shout out to Giant Leap. Hmm. So again, like building on the shoulders of giants, like when it came time to like create a DD checklist, I was like, cool, we can have our own variables, you know, and they're in here, like things that are unique to Euphemia that like only we would really care about. So for example, like one of those variables, it's a softer variable, but like when we're investing in people. It's not explicit, but with the way that we're running the family office and the way that we've chosen to do it, we're hoping to inspire the next generation of family offices that are created out of tech wealth to follow, you know, in our footsteps and to be transparent and to invest back into the Australian startup ecosystem. Hmm. So that's important. So when we look at the founders and who's in the teams, like what do we think the likelihood is that they're someone who likes to give back? (laughs) Like when they... Make it rich and they sell their company and they can go buy an island or they can never work again in their lives. Like, what are the chances that they're going to invest some of that money back into the Australian startup ecosystem? Like, that's something that's kind of unique for, you know, Euphemia. Hmm. But so much of this DD checklist actually comes from Giant Leap's DD checklist, which it's an investment fund of ours that we've supported. Um, And Rachel Yang, who's, uh, you know, like a friend and um, she was the former chair at uh, Startup Victoria during my time there. She's one of, again, one of those friendly phone calls you make to appear, be like, hey, I'm building our checklist. What's yours look like? You know, um, what's in there? And just being able to sort of just see what other people are doing take the bits that resonate for you and leave behind what doesn't. So cool. Yeah. Really cool. I love that. So thank you, Giant Leap, for supporting. (laughs) Yep.
0: (laughs) To get here to then share it all with us. Exactly.
1: I also, I just think it's where progress is made for humans, right? It's like standing on the shoulders of the people that have done it before. Mm -hmm. And like, that goes two ways. I love the fact that you actually actively soft filter, but still filter for the probability that someone is going to get a give back into the Australian ecosystem. Because I think that both... Uh, peer level acceleration and then intergenerational acceleration is so valuable if we are going to increase the pace of growth, innovation, and the impact that we can create as an ecosystem. If everyone is doing that, it just keeps speeding up and speeding up in a really yeah. super exciting way.
2: And that was an easy one for Aussie Angels. It was like built into your business model. It it was. (laughs) I was just thinking that. I was like, we must
0: have got like a 10 out of 10 score on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, though, I've decided I think I like the island option. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You could do both. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I will buy an island for somebody else. That's giving back. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) You know, technically Australia is an island, I'm just saying. Right, right. I could buy all of Australia and just fix all of the ecosystem challenges in one go. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Speaking of ecosystem stuff. Judy, you spent quite a while at Startup Vic, which is now the Startup Network, and actually, you were there when we, when we met. Yeah, would love to understand a bit more about like your time there. What were some of the trends that you saw, and and like where do you think we are going in the future?
2: Yeah, what an amazing chapter of my career! Like I would say that yeah, my time at Startup Vic changed my life completely, and it was just freaking amazing to be a part of like a community where everyone is just trying to help. Everyone like succeed. Rude. An interesting trend I saw was the, the the change in the gender ratio of founders. So um, when I first joined the organization uh, in 2018, we would track metrics on like attendance at events um, and member member metrics. It was about one in 25 of our founders were women in 2018, um, and when I wrapped uh, at the end of 2021, uh, it was one in five. Wow! So huge congrats. Well, it has nothing to do with me. It ha- It's just like a reflection of the ecosystem. I'm sure it had something to do with you, Judy. Uh, no, we just had so many awesome like new people entering the market, like particularly during COVID. Like we had so many people at home who had either been made redundant, dropped to part-time, and like the startup community has never been louder, has never been more accessible, has never been this cool, you know, for like the next gen to, to come into, and it's a viable career path. So we just had so many new people rocking up and willing to take a risk. It's like, what have I got to lose? The world's burning. Why don't I just like <laughs> try that idea?
0: You know? It quite literally
2: was at the time. Yeah. Um, so we saw a huge spike in new, in new startups coming into the ecosystems. That was awesome. Another big spike was just the general maturity of the ecosystem so um during my tenure uh, victoria was named as one of the fastest growing startup ecosystems in the world top 10 ecosystems in the world so we're growing really quickly compared to other cities and ecosystems of our size and i would say that's also reflective across the country another big trend was just how many accelerators now exist yeah like it has never been easier to start a company. Like, and not just from accelerators, I'm talking from like no and low code tools, like, you know, like 10 years ago, if you wanted to start a tech company, you either need to have some money to hire a developer, or you need to know how to write code. Whereas now like the barrier to entry is significantly lower. So that's another awesome trend. Oh, I could go on. I don't want to bore everyone with all the trends, but there's lots. No,
1: this is not boring at all. I I would be interested to kind of draw those trend lines, right? The things that you watched happening at now the startup network and kind of project out to where do you think those trends intersect kind of where does that take us as an ecosystem in Australia if you feel like you have some views on where we're going next let's say in the next kind of two four five ten years
2: yeah I think from a venture point of view the landscape's getting more competitive Um, I feel like every other month I talk to another American or Singaporean or like Indian or someone from or European like someone from another part of the world that is from a much more mature ecosystem where it is much more saturated, capital is cheap, it's flowing freely, and there's a great source of deal flow as well. but there's there's now almost like more you know if you just think about it like a scale, There's more coins on one side of the scale than there are founders and companies to invest in that look like sort of like venture return style companies. And so these funds are now looking elsewhere in the world for like, where else can we find great talent? And Australia so far has been a relatively underestimated market, but we have some of the best technical talent in the world. Like if we just take Jack Dorsey as an example, you know, like founded Twitter, founded Square. When it came time to set up Square's APAC office, scoured the scoured the region, where can we find the best technical talent? And it was in Melbourne. And he chose to set up the office in Melbourne. And a lot of the things that are built in terms of fintech infrastructure behind Square, like these are tools that serve the rest of the world that aren't even available in Australia. And they're built in Melbourne with Melbourne technical talent. So Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. And that's just one example. Like there are so many others of where funds and companies who are looking to expand, yeah, like they're looking at Australia and it's been relatively underserved and they look at the maturity of our market and they look at the size of our funds and they go, ha, we can like nail it. Like it'll be so easy to just come in and so, what that's going to do. Like I'm talking like the A16s of the world, A16s, like et cetera, you know, your tigers, they're all coming here to scout talent and what that's going to do for our local ecosystem is breed more competition. So we're going to see all of the, like we're going to have to see check sizes get bigger. We're going to have to see more institutional capital come out of the super funds and into the funds. We're going to have to see more high net worths directing their capital into venture and changing their pie charts. We're going to have to see more angels investing in seed and pre-seed deals. Like to remain competitive on the global stage and not see those companies be forced to flip up and go into other regions and remain Australian companies. Like we're going to have to see that competition increase. Um, And also in terms of the portfolio success that's provided all the value adds that should be coming with getting a check, you know, um, that has to improve as well over time with competition. So it's a good thing.
0: Yeah, that's very exciting. That's a very good thing. I also see that as well.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Oh, absolutely. 100%. Like I think with the competition coming I think it also the other kind of element I'd add there, I think it adds to the innovation of the kinds of funding models and the kinds of value add that I think we'll see in the ecosystem kind of with that competition, which is super exciting. I think kind of re-baselining the entire ecosystem on it's all about serving the founders, right? It's all about how can we best serve them as, you know, our customers, as investors. And the more competition drives better value to the customers. So I'm super excited for that day.
2: Totally. We're so so lucky to be a part of these companies journey. Like we play such a, the power dynamics are weird with investing, honestly, because like there's this weird power that's held in writing a check. Right. But like, like we're not the ones that are changing the world. No,
0: Mm-mm.
2: like the founders are. Like the it's the entrepreneurs and the people working there.
0: And we're not the ones really generating the big return. The founders generate the
2: big return for us. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're just lucky to be along for the ride. And I think that's an important message to keep remembering. Like without the founders, there's there's no business here. One hundred percent. There's no ROI. Yeah. No ROI.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it's and I think that as an ecosystem globally. We've kind of collectively, selectively kind of forgotten that for the last year and a half. And it's been really sad to see how quickly we let that kind of vision fall away a little bit and sort of some behavior that didn't reflect those dynamics. But I must say, I'm seeing lots of green shoes coming through the ecosystem, uh, kind of a return and a reminder that that is actually, you know, what matters. That is our jobs. We work for the companies that we invest in. We are a way to give them leverage and support, if at all. Like if there's anything we can do, that's our job. And so I'm excited we head back in that direction. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 100%. So as we start to wrap up, Judy, one of the questions that we ask every guest that comes on our show is what is what is your biggest Big Gahonas
2: moment? So something that you did was outsized in a brave way. I think stepping into this role. Honestly, like stepping into the investment landscape, in, especially in the in the family office world, like I have no right to be the group CEO of a 70 million dollar investment global portfolio. Like I am not an investment banker, I'm not an accountant, like I'm not like I am a startup founder, community diehard. Like I know how to run a company and I know how to grow ecosystems and I know how to work with like I know this space and the sector inside and out. But running an investment portfolio is not something, um, you know, that I have the credentials to be doing. I'm so grateful to be working with someone like Dom, who that's not the thing that matters when it comes to building Euphemia. Like we can get wealth advice. We We have great accountants and like, you know, we can make sure that they give us all of the right things to make sure we're protecting the assets and the people that matter the most. But that was pretty much, yeah, that was a big cojones moment because I really had to, like, back myself, you know, and, like, I am learning-oriented and I am, like, growth-oriented. And so I was like, I can, like, it was It was almost like, how I don't deserve this opportunity is how it felt. You know, like, it's like, holy shit. Like, this is an incredible learning opportunity, an incredible impact opportunity. Like, Dom and I were so aligned on, like, the mission, the vision, the values, what we could do. But then, sort of like backing yourself to be good enough to do a good job—that's probably the scary part. Because um, a huge part of our portfolio, like the direct investment portfolio, ventures a little bit de-risked. But the huge part of the venture portfolio, like I won't actually know—and I was talking to Jacks about this before <laughs> at a trip—I won't actually know if I'm any good for a long time. Yeah, and that's pretty scary but that's okay. You know, that's just part of the job. Yeah. I'm so glad you took the job. You're absolutely
1: nailing (laughs) it, you know, and, and taking a really fresh approach approach that is not common in the ecosystem and just doing it so well. So I think, uh, that kind of big owner's moment, taking that risk and kind of being leaning into the way that you are different and now building that into a strategic strength. It's just poetry in motion. I'm loving watching it from the sidelines.
2: Uh, Thank you. I mean, there's lots of little micro cojones moments, like, you know, with the job, right? Like, there are lots of hard things, you know, about like, I think a lot of this conversation has been pretty, like, positively focused and aspirationally focused. But like, there are some really hard parts to this job. Like when, you know, when a founder is calling you in tears, because like, they can't make pay run and they have to decide which staff to fire and like they don't want to fire any of it. Like that's a really hard conversation to have when, you know, you're talking with founders about like the fact that they have to, you know, put their company into liquidation and like, you know, that's what has to be done. And like, there's no light at the end of the tunnel here. This is like, now we're having a conversation about the art of a graceful dismount and protecting your, you know, um, fiduciary responsibility. Like those are difficult conversations to have and they do require grit and courage and you know like again you're still in a service mindset you're in service of that founder doing the right thing by themselves doing the right thing by their employees doing the right thing by their investors doing the right thing by everyone involved particularly in a regulated environment because we are doing a lot of fintech it's a heavily regulated environment and so you have to know your shit and that can be pretty pretty tough but again like just lucky to work with so many great founders who, like on the hardest of days, they just wake up and they're like, "Okay, game time," <laughs> and they just get it done. And it's incredibly impressive. And um, even when companies fail, like the founders are still people that we would happily back again uh, to go on their next journey with them. Because that, and and I think that's an important message for this time in the market. Because I'm seeing a lot of companies dying quietly. And I just wonder how much of that is driven by the fact that they want to, you know, save face and, you know, no one wants to fail and all that kind of stuff. But like for me, a failed founder is an experienced founder. And that's someone that that like in terms of DD checklist, like have they built companies before? Like, I don't care if they've had exits before. Like if they've had exits before, they probably don't need us, you know? <laughs> so I just, yeah, if there are, if there's a chance that any founders are listening, like, yeah, yeah experience and failing, you know, sort of hand in hand, if you can make sure that you navigate it um, on the way down with grace.
1: 100%. I would plus one or maybe plus a hundred to that statement. (laughs) Plus a thousand. Like I think Australia, yeah, Australia is not doing a good job at the moment of celebrating and facilitating founders to, I love that phrasing, the graceful- Gracefully exit. Yeah. The graceful dismount is so good. It's so important because a big part of this, of success in this category- is the ability to find it fast or fail fast and then try again and move on to the next idea. And so if we make that easier, more respectful, more allowed, and even better kind of celebrate the benefits of that, that process, I think we'll move much faster as an ecosystem. So one, plus 1,000 to that point.
2: Yeah. I've had, I've had thoughts of like the anti-accelerator. Like what if we built an accelerator that like the whole goal was to try and kill the company as fast as you could not in bad ways but like you know like success <laughs> yeah yeah success was measured by like you know we we're trying to get to these targets but the sooner we realize that those targets aren't achievable you know we've tried every pivot hmm. you're actually rewarded with another check to do your next idea and if that's the next idea wondered what that might look like that's so
0: cool <laughs> we could we could model it out at some point for sure I love it
2: yeah <laughs> well thank you
1: so much for this chat I true to form I feel like I I've learned so much, and I've just loved catching up and hearing about how you think about this ecosystem, how to build, how to show up as a leader.
2: It's uh, been awesome. Yeah. Can I sneak in one quick plug for our um, syndicate? Oh, of course. Yeah. Plug. So you know, in, in the journey like of, of Euphemia over the last like year and a half or so, we've had a lot of people, like other investors, other family offices, other fund managers, angels, etc., sort of ask us along the way, oh, what deal are you doing next? Oh, well, what have you invested in the last few months? What's in your pipeline? Like, How do we get involved? Can we co-invest alongside you? What does that look like? And last year, we were running so fast, like we shipped over $20 million you know, in our first 12 months that we were spinning so quickly that we didn't even have time to pop up for air and like invite other people to come along for the journey and to share some of those deals. And so we've now taken a breath, slowed down a little bit. And we've now um, built the Euphemia Syndicate. So um, if you like our thesis, you know, fintech, climate tech, women-led startups, diverse founders and startup infrastructure, um, you can join our syndicate on the Aussie Angels platform, which of course Cheryl runs, and we'll share our deal flow. Um, Not all of the deals, because some deals might just be dumb getting really excited about space bikes, Um, but the deals that we think are really awesome, that match our thesis, that we're happy to sort of put our name to as a lead, if you will. Um, those will go out through the syndicate it's opt-in you don't have to participate once you sign up but that will give you access to the deal flow Uh, we had our first deal go through the platform last month which was future super series c round Um, so we let a small allocation into that and the types of deals like we're trying to bring there are the ones that you wouldn't typically have access to otherwise like because we're in a relatively privileged position as a family office we kind of get some unique deal flow like some some interesting secondaries or, you know, like around where the minimum check size is not really accessible for an angel investor. And so we can bring those deals lower the minimum check size um, and share share the love. So uh, please check that out. Um, I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere on the internet. Absolutely. Yeah, we will
1: include a link in the, in the show notes and maybe to your DD checklist if you're willing to share it publicly.
2: Yeah, I'll create a, a structured version. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful.
1: Thank you so much. Um and uh check out the Euphemia Syndicate. I think a really differentiated opportunity to get some access to stuff that um most people in the ecosystem don't get to see. So um yeah, super exciting. Plus
0: one thousand on that.
2: So good. Thank you for having me. And like obviously like I know this is getting too long now and you may cut this out if you want but I just think like the world needs to I don't know how many of your guests will like reverse you know spruik like the work that you're both doing but it is absolutely incredible like you know, Cheryl, you're building like an incredible platform, like a piece of financial infrastructure for the startup ecosystem to unlock capital that would otherwise not be going into deals, to educate aspiring angel investors, to get into the startup ecosystem, to help founders fill their rounds and get some really interesting people and a diverse set of investors on their cap table. You know, like that is just freaking awesome. And I'm so excited about the prospect in the future of what Aussie Angels is going to be. You know, and Maxine, like with CoVentures, like so awesome like truly leading the way in the pre-seed market in australia just a very thoughtful fund the caliber is very high in terms of like your relentless focus on it must be the best like your pursuit of excellence is something that's really impressive and if you're interested in early stage um pre-seed deals like yeah maxine's fund is the place to go at co-ventures so thank you so much for having me thank you judy thank you so much for coming on